Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Uh, October 3rd, 2019, we have the baseball playoffs currently going on right now. I have the watching off to the side TV, the Braves versus the Cardinals. Dodgers going to play a little later on or in the middle of NFL. Uh, week five coming up, college football week six. Hockey just kicked off, Mike. And we got a huge horse racing weekend coming up with prep races for the Breeders' Cup because we know in just a month it's going to be the biggest day of the year for uh, the biggest two days of the year for horse racing. And one of our good friends, Craig Milkowski, going to be joining us right off the bat. Yeah, and obviously, uh, you know, a lot of excitement about Keeneland. It's a great wagering track, um, and it's also a big track, obviously, for some of these, uh, you know, Breeders' Cup prep races. So, do we have some win in your in? Uh, coming up this weekend as well? Yep. Keeneland opens up. Um, and as always, the first couple days of the Keeneland meet are huge stakes races. And at least as we welcome in our friend Craig from Timeform US, Chief Figure Maker, you know, the Timeform US pace cast that you listen to each and every week. At least, Craig, this week, there are a couple graded stakes races that are like betting quality. Last week was just really bad with the short field and the jockey club. Uh, Midnight Bisu and Imperial Hint were in really small fields that had some scratches in there. Hope you're doing well. And at least we have some okay betting races to look at this week. Yeah, it did. Like you mentioned, we do the uh, the podcast now. We do a Tuesday recap, and then Friday we kind of look ahead to the weekend. And we had trouble coming up with some races to pick last weekend, <laughs> but uh, no, no such problem this week. No, and we'll we'll kind of bounce around a little bit. Let's let's start over at Belmont Park because we're going to have a a two year old prep race. We had the West Coast two year old preps last week, and then this week we'll get the. Uh, We'll get the Belmont Park two-year-olds, and then we'll get to see the two-year-olds out at Keeneland on Friday and Saturday. Let's start at Belmont Park, and let's get to the 10th race. We're going to have just a field of seven in here. This is the Champagne. So go ahead, kind of take it and, and give us your the contenders and who you kind of start with, how you see this race unfolding. Well, the horse to beat is pretty clearly green light go. Uh, he's two for two so far. He, he broke his maiden easily, won the Saratoga special pretty easily. Uh, he was going to be the favorite and the hopeful, and he had a minor issue come up and was scratched on the day of the race. But it doesn't look like he's missed much training. Um, so, And he's entered right back in, so I assume whatever it was is taken care of. But, you know, the reason I'm interested in this race, as good as he is, I, I'm kind of leaning towards another horse, and that's the outside horse, uh, Tis the Law. And Tizzle is actually a horse who broke his mate in uh, in a New York bred race for Barkley Tag. Um, what'd you like about that about that victory? Uh, for one, it kind of surprised the connections. He didn't go off the favorite that day. He was seven to two, but he just he won so easily. And the big thing for me, you know, I'm the speed figure guy. He ran a one eleven that day, which is huge for a two year old in uh, early August, but particularly for New York breds and. Uh, with the green light go, had run a 107 in his win, uh, stakes win last time out. And the, the 111 speed figure from that maiden win for Tizzle All hasn't been a fluke. Uh, the horses have come back out of there pretty strong. 
a dream bigger, the runner-up that they actually broke his maiden in the New York Red Stakes up at Finger Lakes, which may not sound all that like all that big a deal, but he won by 10 lengths geared down while still a maiden. Uh, I'm not sure the exact speed figure yet, but it's going to be well over 100, uh, probably somewhere between the 105 and 110 range. So he beat a real runner in that race, and I just loved how he did it. He was wrapped up late. Uh, not saying I'm not one of those that, that always says, oh, the horse could have run faster, uh, you know, when they wrap up. But he was a horse who looked like he will have absolutely no problem with more ground. He's by constitution. He looks like he's bred for more distance. And for me, this is more of a visual, uh, or not more of, but as much of a visual pick as it is a speed figure pick. You mentioned uh, that the race he comes out of is actually not bad, but one horse who's been kind of talked about because the race that he won his maiden race has come back and has not been very strong, and that's Godzilla, who, you know, I, I guess we could say he was a little bit disappointing when he was third in the hopeful, you know, your grade one place and your second start, but you're the favorite, and you, I guess you expect to run a little bit better. That was in the slop, though. What are your thoughts on Godzilla here, who kind of is a little cold on the morning line and you know when you look at this race there are some it's kind of horses with a little more upside off of his lackluster effort but where does he stand as far as like speed figures and how does this race shape up early on is it going to be a quick race and who's going to be battling for it uh, our pace projector has it as a fast pace which is not really surprising for two-year-old stretching out most of them have won at a shorter distance when they do that so they've shown some speed uh so I, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a fast pace, but fast pace doesn't always mean that a, a front runner can't win. But in Godzilla's case, I don't think he really is a horse that wants to go all that long. He's out of flatter, who I think is more of a sprint sire. He kind of runs like a sprinter. He uh, got pretty late last time in the hopeful. It, it was a sloppy track, but I, I think this is more of a shot in the dark with him than a horse that really wants to go a mile, let alone further, as he would be asked to do down the road. Let's move from Belmont Park over to Keeneland. Hey, hey Gino, before we shift to yeah. uh, Keeneland, just a quick mention. Craig, you had uh, mentioned you know, that you're a, a time guy. And I've noticed that you do a really good job pointing out track inaccuracies uh, over social media, things that you come up with when you're timing them yourself. I was just wondering, do the tracks ever listen to you? Do they ever acknowledge those mistakes and get back to you and make changes or, you know, or is this just so you can let the public know for their handicapping purposes? Uh, I do it for both. I do it for the uh, the handicappers, but I also do work with Equibase, who's kind of a middleman with the tracks. And when I find problems, rather than go to individual tracks, I just find it's easier to, to report it to them. And, you know, they'll do their investigation and get it fixed if possible. Uh, some of this stuff is, like you know, typos where they'll just misenter the data, and they always fix that really quickly. Other stuff uh, where it's just something that I see doesn't make sense, maybe there was a malfunction or something like that, they'll generally go back to the track and ask them what they think. And from that point on, I just leave it to them. If they fix it, great. If they decide they're not sure or that they don't think there was a problem, that's fine too. And I make my figures on what I believe and go from there. Yeah, I was just wondering because and I don't want to derail our, our handicapping no. conversation too much, but you know, it's kind of a, a part of a bigger theme, if you will, in, in, in that we're really looking towards horse racing as a, as a industry to kind of be responsive to change and to make changes and so i was just wondering you know do they care 
Do they implement things? Because, you know, from a bigger picture perspective, there's so much that needs to happen. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, negative Nellies that are out there about kind of what's the current state of horse racing and the future of horse racing. And I think it's going to take a, a lot of reform. And that's probably a separate conversation for another day. But, you know, it's these little things that add up, don't they? Right, yeah, there's no reason in 2019 why we can't time races correctly. No. I mean, nothing's going to be 100% perfect. There's going to be problems now and then, but one of my big things now is uh, when, when there is a malfunction, someone will hand time the race, and that goes into the past performances like, like it's gospel, and there's really no way to differentiate the times in the past performances. Now, if you look in the chart, you can see somewhere there'll be a note hopefully at the bottom and, and Equibase has gotten a lot better about that, that the race was hand-timed. And you can use that to know, well, maybe this time's not as accurate as it would be if it was done electronically. But for now, in the past performances, it's not there. But that's one of the things I've been pushing and they've been responsive to it. So I know there's some things being worked on to uh, to get that fixed and hopefully even further where we wouldn't have to rely on that anymore Uh Hand timing is just kind of silly to me. You can time from video. I can time a race in, in just a couple minutes above however long it takes to run the race. And while not perfectly accurate, it's certainly a lot closer than somebody doing it with a stopwatch. Sure. No, the that better, makes sense. I appreciate you addressing that. And the better's friend there, Craig Milkowski, always looking out for us. Uh, we shift over to Keeneland. And we'll, we'll continue with the two-year-old theme. I'm... Um, We'll go to the the ninth race on Saturday at Keeneland, which is the grade one breeders futurity. Two-year-olds, they'll be traveling a mile and a 16th in there. I'm always a little tentative when you have a, a horse first out that wins big in a race that's on an off track. And that's what we'll, we'll have here with Governor Morris. Uh, this is a, a full field and nobody really proven in here we do have by your side who's been in a couple graded stakes and is actually a grade three winner. But that was sprinting and didn't really seem to have a ton of an excuse last time out unless he didn't like the slop. I don't have a strong opinion really in this in this one, but I, there are a lot of different ways you can go in here, Craig. Uh, wh- what are the, the figures of time from USA, and what are your overall thoughts in this group? Uh, I I personally think it's a two horse race. This isn't one of my my best betting races of the weekend, but but it's a good one to talk about. I think Tap at the Wind comes in. He he had a big one hundred and nine speed figure from us, which. You know, as I mentioned before, is really good for a two-year-old, especially this time of year. And then uh, Governor Morris, who who was so impressive visually the first time out. And it's not so much that he just freaked in the slop. He had, he had a lot of hype coming in, into the race. Uh, he was in a race where he didn't break particularly well. He was wide on the turn. The pace was slow. And yet he was able to raid off that pace and just blow by the field like they were standing still. So I can understand skepticism of people who might think, well, it was sloppy track, but he's not your typical, you know, ran fast, went right to the sure. lead and just ran everybody off their That's feet. A good point. He showed me a yep. lot in that race. Uh, he looked really good. And despite he only ran, I, I think he had a 95 speed figure that day, which is well below tap at the winds 109. But he's the one I'm going to lean to. If I were going to bet pick threes or pick fours, I would have him bet pretty heavily. I'm not saying I wouldn't use tap at the win at all, but I wouldn't go any deeper than those two. And I really do like Gouverneur Morris. He he was just visually impressive. And even though the race was only five and a half furlongs, I have no doubts a mile and a 16th will be well within his scope. 
you're looking for a bottom of the exotics horse uh, out there, Enforceable might be able to pick things up. I like the fact that he was able to get the victory at the mile and an eighth last time out. He's actually been in some okay races too, and he's not really been overmatched. If you put a line through that turf race, I think he could be underneath in here and maybe help uh, spice up the exotics if uh, if it's going to be Tappet to win and uh, Governor Morris uh, going to be probably pretty tough. So we do right. have. Uh, I, those, uh, <laughs> I was going to say when I say they're, they're the top two, I'm talking to win. Uh, it yeah, doesn't yeah. Mean they have to sure, win sure. one, two, and, what... and I certainly like your horse. Uh, Mark Cass could certainly run second or third in this race, and he's a pretty big price, fifteen to one on yeah. the morning line, uh, and he's already proven at the distance. And this is another of those races where we think the pace will be fast, so it could very well set up for a horse like him. And uh, on a big day on Saturday at Keeneland, there were many different races we could pick from. But uh, you had mentioned that you like the 10th race, the Shadwell Turf Mile. You had some interest in this one. I did. This is a race where it's a grade one in, in name, but I don't think it is on paper. And and you can kind of tell that by the field size it drew. We have a, a full field of 14s going to go to the gate. There's even a couple also eligibles. And when you look through them, you're just not going to find a lot of of grade one wins or group one, as we have some foreign shippers in here. We have uh, Sejwa, who won this race in 2017, shipping over from Europe. But in this particular case, I'm going to lean towards a different Euro shipper, and that's the number eight Vinager. Um, I watched all his replays today. I was really impressed with him. He's a horse who a mile is his perfect distance. They've been trying to run him longer overseas but every time they turn him back he he seems to win he's won on uh, right-handed courses left-handed courses straight courses and you know he comes in hot he comes in he's won his last couple races a group three and a group two and he does it for a trainer in charlie appleby who has proven to be able to come over here and win he won the breeders cup juvenile turf last year with line of power he won a uh, graded stakes at woodbine uh, the previous fall so he knows what he's doing when he comes here and one of the things for me I really like to see is that the horse is getting first-time Lasix. I'm a big fan of that for Euro shippers. I do think it helps. Uh, it certainly helps him run with the American horses. So he's going to be a good price at 10 to 1. Uh, Shadewa, he looks okay. He, but he's 8 to 1 on the morning line. But he is 8 years old, and I'm not sure he's exactly the same horse we saw a couple years ago. So Villager is the one I'm going to be leaning on pretty heavy, heavily at what I expect is going to be a nice price. Number eight, a vintager there, and uh, the tenth race in the Shadwell Turf Mile uh, at Keeneland. So, yeah, Keeneland, as far as the the wagering is concerned, they look like they really have uh, a strong card there, and, and early on, always really strong undercard races. And then when we head over to to Santa Anita, Craig, not necessarily a race that will will be betting on, but kind of a race that's just at least interesting to talk about because there are a couple really nice. Uh, they're really nice three-year-olds that we are going to see show up in the Santa Anita Sprint Championship. It's going to be Omaha Beach, who would have been your Kentucky Derby favorite. We haven't seen him since he won the Arkansas Derby. And he'll be hooking up with Chancelot, who was so impressive. And he earned that monster speed figure when he won the Amsterdam. And he was one of those horses that I saw you tweeting about the other day. Um, we've seen a lot of horses that were on bad rails down uh, during the Saratoga meet. There were a couple different days in particular where the rail was really, really bad on the inside. And those horses have come back to run well. I think we see a couple of them running this weekend with uh, promises fulfilled and also a chance a lot. Yeah, I think Chancellor, I mean, obviously, he's four to five on the morning line. He's going to be very tough to beat in here. I, I think I would be singling him. 
The other horse, uh, obviously, is Omaha Beach, who hasn't been seen since winning the Arkansas Derby. was probably going to be the Kentucky Derby favorite uh, before injury sidetracked him. But uh, it's hard to imagine that he would be fully cranked for this race at a distance which is probably shorter than his best. Uh, he's had some setbacks along the way. They kept changing the race he was going to come back in. Uh, I'm not really sure what the plan is with him. So, in this case, uh, there's no real speed to challenge Chancelot anyway. I mean, there, Flagstaff has a little bit of speed, but he doesn't have Chancelot kind of speed. So I think he's going to be home free and long gone when they turn for home. And if I do play this race, I'll actually probably play some exactas and try to get Omaha Beach out of that second spot and see if I can get some other horses that maybe like to come from behind and make up some ground like a California street or a horse greedy. Craig Milkowski, we have uh, a minute or two before we're going to let you go before we go to a commercial break. But Craig, I know even more than uh, than horse racing, you're just an overall sports fan. And we were talking about it at the beginning of the show. This is just a, an awesome time in the world of sports. I know you're an OKC basketball fan. Uh, we have, the Lakers are going to have their first preseason game this weekend. We're starting there. We're in the middle of these great Breeders Cup prep races in in horse racing. We got the baseball playoffs kicking off uh, right now. They're playing as we speak, and in the middle of fa- football, college football, it's just a great, great time. Uh, my favorite time of the year right now. It is. Yeah, we're actually. Uh, my wife told me on it. We're actually in Pennsylvania right now, and she said, "Oh wow, look, the Thunder have a game Tuesday," and I realized, yeah. "Oh, we have a game to go to Tuesday night." So, not really the uh, excitement as far as the Thunder being a really good team this year, but I, I'm actually pretty much I'm looking forward to it more than I have the last couple years, where I kind of figured they weren't really contenders. They had some obviously very good players, but. It's always good to start new. They they missed their window at a title, and they're kind of starting over from scratch. So I'm looking forward to it. And I even caught myself watching baseball the other night, which when the <laughs> Orioles stink like they did this year, I, I don't follow along too much in the regular season. But it's tough to beat what we saw with the Nationals and Brewers when it comes yeah. to uh, excitement there. That was, that was something to watch. That was a great ball game. Are you a Chris Paul guy? I, I know. I'm not a fan, but mostly because of his flopping. I uh, I I don't mind. Obviously, he's very talented, and I think he'll help the team. I don't know how long he's going to be here. I I think the Thunder are probably trying to go into tank mode, but they had no choice but to take on his contract. And he'll be a pro, and I'm sure he'll help uh, Gilgis Alexander, who they acquired from the Clippers in the the Paul George trade. So we'll just see where it goes. I'll be a fan of him this year, that's for sure. Hey, Craig, as we uh, take this into the commercial break here, Timeform US, I see on there that there is a uh, vote for free race of the day. All grade one races, the Champagne and uh, First Lady Shadwell, the Santa Anita Sprint races that we've talked about. So if they if they go out there and vote on the site, then they get PPs for that specific race. Is that what it is? Yeah, or the analysis, comes out excuse me? Right. It, it's free PPs. You, you, PPs. you have to okay. sign up and have an account, but you can get a couple free races. And it's actually every day we have some free nice. races. And then on the weekend, they'll have the race of the week. And it usually picks from the uh, the bigger stakes races. And whichever ones get voted on, they'll be the free races of the day on the weekend. So, yep, you get the full PPs uh, for, for those whatever ones happen to get voted on. There you go. Check it out, people. It's good stuff, especially leading up to the Breeders' Cup. Craig, thank you, my friend. Thanks, Always Craig. enjoy you having you on with us. 
Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Love listening to the show, even when it's not horse racing, being the sports junkie I am. So keep up the good work. Appreciate it. Thanks, Craig. It's Craig Milkowski. Time for him, U.S. Always thankful to him joining us. We're going to take our first commercial break. Please stay with us. We will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Big thanks to Craig Milkowski from Time Form U.S., for covering a couple different racetracks there. Craig does such a great job and uh, is great follow, as you mentioned, Mike, because he points a lot of things out. He During the week, weekends when there's big races going on, he will note things that he thinks he sees that are a little bit off. And he, uh, as far as the time and the numbers and the figures are concerned, just a great follow. Yeah, he really is. And uh, he's a good conversationalist, too. Always, uh, it, you know, I always enjoy having him on and... Uh, Kind of hearing his insights, man. You got to be, you got to really know your stuff to be a, a, you know. It's not just timing. You know what I mean? It's really like understanding no. the intricacies of the track and the shoots when, and and the and rails what, are this far out. And you know, you, he's legit. What I like about him too is, um, he is not just someone who is completely solely as you you know he hurt as you mentioned with one of the the horses that he gave out the one that he liked at Belmont Park. He's visual and analytics. 
So yes. as, as well as, you know, he's going to use his numbers and figures and in, in, in the formula that, that has, you know, spat out whatever speed figure or speed rating or thing. But sometimes if he sees them, he's not just going to, that's not gospel, you know, he'll use his eyes also. And, and that's what I like about him. Cause some, some people are just, you know, play off the numbers and stuff. But then when you, when you talk to them, you can't really talk about a race of them because they don't really know, they don't really know what they're talking about. They're just playing off the numbers, you know? Sure. That's definitely not the case uh, at all with, with Craig. He's, he's sharp, and we'll have to definitely get him back if we can get uh, maybe three or four people on for our, our Breeders' Cup show in a few weeks when we talk to yeah, Breeders' definitely. Cup. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Gino, we actually got a, uh, a note sent to us, an email, and uh, wanted to really quickly read it on the air. I'm going to jump from one part of it to another part only because there were some questions about agent-related questions in there, so I'm not going to bore the listeners with that. But basically, this is anonymous from, it says Rhode Island in, in Maryland, so I don't know if somebody, if you're going to school, maybe in Maryland, but you're originally from Rhode Island, wherever you're at, we definitely appreciate your listenership. But in short, basically, it says, enjoy listening to you guys. You guys have very distinct styles, but it works well together. Prefer this show over a lot of national shows. Wish it was on more than once a week. Keep up the good work. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's the agent stuff. But that's pretty much the gist of it. Definitely appreciate the feedback. Cool, appreciate your nice. listenership. Yeah, it's nice uh, Nice to hear from you guys. Nice to hear that, um, you know, we're entertaining the listener for an hour, hopefully providing good information. And uh, he does go on to say, you guys always have really good guests, you know, kind of mentions the variety of the different sports and topics and stuff like that. So good stuff there. Definitely appreciate it. Please, if you can, if you don't mind, uh, sign your name to these. That way we can, yeah. uh, you know, give you a little, say little hello to cred, you. say a little hello, and uh, maybe even get some dialogue going. But let's talk a little baseball, G. Yeah, the Braves just had a, a big inning where they scored a couple runs right now, so they're up 3-1 to one on the Cardinals. This is actually the first game of the Divisional Series now, so we have Braves-Cardinals. A little bit later on, we're going to have Dodgers versus... Um, the Nats. Nat, Dodgers, Nats, Nationals at the Dodgers. And then on the American League side, we have the Rays, who won. They beat the Oakland Athletics in the wild card game. They're going to be traveling to play Houston. And That's, that'll be game one, 11 a.m. Pacific time, Friday. 2 p.m. Uh, uh, Eastern time. Yes, Friday. Um, and then yep. we'll have the uh, the Yanks versus the Twins. And Friday is one of the, you know, baseball doesn't really have many days. I mean, obviously with the World Series games, and it's more like nights. When, when there'll be a big game going on during the playoffs, but they don't have many days where it's baseball throughout the whole day. This is one of the f- the few. I think this yeah, is it's a really like underrated what, sports day. Yeah, it's maybe really like opening day, July, maybe like Labor July, Day. Memorial but Fourth of July yep. is, is kind of a, a holiday too, so it's not like everyone's just sitting down watching baseball. You know, people are out doing their thing. Like this is a day where it's like, a, it's during the week too. There's not a lot of, fo- there's no fo- like football stuff going on. This is the, the real fun day when you get, each series on Friday and because it's so quick in baseball too. I mean, yeah. by the end of the weekend, some of these series could be even over. Sure. Uh, now, the, it's a, I mean, I, I love, I love, you know, waking up to a quadruple header in baseball. Oh yeah. So, you know, just the junk, you know, the baseball junkie in me, uh, how much I love baseball. Oh, I only wish it wasn't staggered games. as much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That they gave us more time for the conclusion of one onto the next one. And if anybody that's out there is, is like my dad, and, you know, isn't necessarily the best at remembering what channels and, and doing that musical chairs. So the first game is going to be on Fox Sports uh, FS1, excuse me. And then we're going to jump to TBS for the Braves cards and then the MLB network for the Yankees and Twins. 
and then back to TBS for the Dodgers and the Nats. Now, let me ask you a question, Gito. Just because you're a hardcore Dodger guy, do you watch the game? I know there's a little bit of a time, uh, maybe like eight seconds where it's off. And, but listen to the local announcers? Or Not, what do you do when it comes to the national well, the time only, of year? The only thing is, is that the Dodgers local TV announcer is the one who I'd want to listen to. I'd want to listen to Joe Davis. Sure. So that's that's the thing is that I think it would be Steiner or someone else who actually I really don't don't like at all, to be honest. And he's not very good. I, he, a lot of history, but he, he, he misses a lot of... Uh, he doesn't he know. Seems like, right also, to me, he seems like more of a Yankee guy. Yeah. And I remember um, when he, because um, he was a longtime Sports Center sports anchor, center anchor ESPN. Yeah. 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 So and, uh, if I could, if I could hear Joe Davis call all those games, oh, I love it. And I think he ends up getting to call, depending on how far they go and what it's like. I think he will get to call one or two if they're on Fox before the World Series, because I think Buck only calls the World Series games. So I think he might call if there's like if, a, if any of them are on FS1 in the next round. I don't know what the schedule is quite yet, but I think there were one or two. And because I feel like he did get to call a game last year with Smoltz, I think. Um, yeah. Now has he started on his uh, college football duties at all or not? Oh yet? yeah, he always does that on Saturday. I I think what he does. So he is even he, does it during the last month of baseball. He'll I still- think he does it up until like the last two. I think he takes like two weeks off or like the last couple weeks. Like last year, it was a little bit different because the Dodgers were like in a battle trying to get into the playoffs. They weren't even in. This year was a little bit different because the games down the stretch weren't quite as big. So I think he probably could have taken them off and didn't feel like he was really missing as much, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but um, yeah, Joe is great. I mean, he is a great announcer. He'll be, hopefully, you know, the next Joe Buck in a few years, you know, or whenever Joe Buck moves on or does, decides he wants to do yeah. something else. He'll probably be the guy that calls the Super Bowl and that calls the... You know the World Series and yep. uh, Joe Davis. He's young, good looking, great voice, knows his stuff. Just like really looks like they were grooming him to be uh, the next guy, and I hope so, man. He he does a gr- very. I don't know anyone who could have come like after Vin Scully and still been very well received like this. That just shows you what a great job he does. No doubt, man. That those are huge, huge shoes to fill, and he's done a really admirable job. And uh, it's kind of funny because uh, obviously we're big horse racing guys and, uh, you know, to a much lesser extent in terms of recognition or whatnot. It's kind of like the Matt Dinnerman uh, over at Golden Gate, you know, he's uh, doing a pretty good job over there. Young guy. I like seeing the young guys and I like giving them props Mm -hmm. when I see young guys that are into these sports, which are kind of considered more of like older people's sports, baseball and horse racing and stuff like that. And uh, I think both sports are trying to make an effort to be able to pump in some younger blood, some younger interest into these sports. So, but yeah, I think uh, Davis done a fine job and enjoyed listening to him. I'd say out of all of the national announcers, uh, Smoltzy is uh, the one that I like the most. You know, and I, I know some people don't like it when announcers bring in their playing days. You know, kind of rubs people the wrong way. I think you have to, though. Yeah, you have to. Right? I mean, you have to draw your experience. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. no doubt. So, to me, I love John Smoltz. Now, keep in mind, I loved him as a player. Really, really liked watching Smoltz from the days of, uh, you know, early Atlanta days. You know, when they went up against uh, the the Twins in the World Series in 91. And uh, I, I, I witnessed, because my cousin was a huge Braves fan, I witnessed kind of them going from a perennial... 90 hundred lost team to being a powerhouse into the 90s and uh 
And Smoltz reinvented himself too, which I like a lot. You know, became a closer. Yeah. And had to fill different roles during his career, and so you know he gets this stuff, man. Now, uh, so, so as keeping a, with the Braves, I don't know if you you, you have it on right now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm right now it's three to one, guys. For those who are listening live, Braves are up on the uh, Cardinals, and it's interesting because the Braves just brought in Max Fried, who is a 17 game winner, and I think that's something that we're going to see quite a bit from the teams that don't believe in their bullpens. Whereas it'll be, it was the opposite, right, with the Brewers. You know, you bring in Woodruff for a few innings, and then you go to your bullpen. Some teams are going to start with a starter, continue with a starter, and then maybe even close with the Dodgers are going to bring in, man. It's not what was in their bullpen almost all throughout the year. I mean, they they probably have like three or four pieces that were in their bullpen throughout most of the year. And otherwise, it's going to be Maeda, Dustin May, Stripling, you know, Urias is going to be there, hopefully like a Josh Hader light type where they could bring him in multiple innings in different spots. And uh, it's really smart, too, because all those guys that you mentioned all have experience as a starter, mostly yep. a starter. But they've also got to experience some relief work. And so they've got the mindset. Mm-hmm. Of they being figured able it to out. Both. Yeah. Like we saw Dustin May struggle with it the first time. He came in, he gave up a couple runs, but now he's had like eight or nine relief appearances. And if Joe Kelly, who's been a little bit banged up, like Joe Kelly only pitched five innings throughout September, he did come back and get a couple outs and he apparently is healthier. But if he's not able to go or he's not quite healthy, I mean, May could be getting big outs for the Dodgers there, you know, and uh, I like Baez. Kenley seemed like he righted the ship a little bit late in the year. And then for the Dodgers, you know, it's going to be like we mentioned what are we like? Will they be able to get good innings out of the Maeda's, the Urias? I think so. Like, I'll take a couple innings of Maeda. I'll take a couple innings of Urias. I'll take a couple innings of Stripling. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I like May. Like, I what I like about the Dodgers is I don't have very many options in this bullpen that make me shriek right now. You know, as a fan, like there's one or two, one or two of those those players in your bullpen where when the manager goes and gets them, you're going, uh oh. And I, th- I think that's that's kind of where the Nats are. Yes. Right now, let me ask you this: There were a lot of Nats fans, especially when they saw the first few innings and Scherzer giving up some home runs, that were really really angry that they didn't start Strasburg. Do you have an issue with them starting Scherzer in game one in in the play in game? No, I don't really. either. I, mean, I thought it was not, a little bit of a ridiculous criticism. Yeah, me too. I mean, not. I mean. It's Scherzer. He's been he's he's been a little bit off down the stretch. He's been a little banged up, and I mean Strauss. It's hard because Scherzer, like when you look at him and you kind of compare it to Kershaw, like Scherzer's playoff numbers haven't been unbelievable. He's like a three eight. His last six starts in the playoffs, or his last six games in the playoffs, or seven, he has a four five ERA and he's given up seven home runs. He's not nothing, not like horrible, but not Scherzer. But that doesn't mean he shouldn't be able to start game one. And they did it well. They won. They they were smart. Scherzer didn't pitch great, but they got him out of there quickly. They, br- You have this, like, people, I think the people that were criticizing weren't quite realizing that, hey, they have three number one starters, really. So even if you use two of them up here, you're still going to have a very good option for game one if, in the next series. For, second of all, you have to get to that series. So you have to do what's best for you. You know, yeah, you no have doubt to use it. all of them. It doesn't now, matter. Now, you know who has been great is 
Strasburg. He's been great in the playoffs. In the playoffs. His um, ERA is, I think, now point three nine in uh, four four uh, appearances. Twenty two innings pitched, zero point four one. Yeah, that's uh, that uh, that was what it was. I think lead. I'm not sure if that was before or after yesterday, but incredible. Incredible. And what 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 scares me a little bit um, as a Dodger fan. This was the one team, and, and I don't want to ever say because I wasn't going to say, "Oh, I wanted to play Milwaukee," but the one team I did not want to play was the Nationals. And I've been saying this for a while because of their pitching. And in a short series like this, the weakness for the Nationals is their bullpen. It's Hudson and it's Doolittle. Other than that, they don't really have much of like a middle of the bullpen that you can count on. So what's scary is in a short series, you could get just some really good outings from the starters. And not even really have to get too deep into that bullpen. That's what's no. a little scary. And here, so in a here's, their, here's series, the way they're I feel it more up. confident. Yeah. Now he, this is how they're setting it up. So they're going to go Corbin in Game One, and then Strasburg Game Two with no limitations, and then Scherzer is scheduled to pitch in Game Three, and then and they're going to bring in Annabelle Sanchez to relieve him if necessary. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of their game plan for the first three games, and. You nailed and it's it. All I hands mean, on deck after I that. mean, yeah, I mean, you nailed it, right? I mean, it's conceivable. No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to happen because it's the Dodgers. Yeah, got a I, lot of firepower. I, I, but it is conceivable that Corbin pitches lights out. We get a, and then we get a Strasburg and and Scherzer type of effort from each of those guys, and then boom, it's over. You don't get to their bullpen against the the Dodgers. Corbin Seager is hundred is one sixty with nine strikeouts. Uh, Taylor's only hit 200 with five strikeouts. Muncy's only hit three times. He's 0 for 3. Bellinger's 250. The two guys that are in the lineup today, and the the real key for the Dodgers. And and you know they talk. We talk about Bellinger or Muncy or Seager or Kershaw. The heart and soul of this Dodgers team for the last few years, and when they're playing well, it's because he's playing very well. Is Justin Turner? He is he's the most professional hitter in their lineup, and Justin Turner in the playoffs. Has been unfreaking believable, and we're not talking like a small sample size. In the postseason, in 212 plate appearances, he's 56 hits, seven home runs, 30 RBIs, with a 3.13 average and a 4.20 on base percentage. And he just gets big hits after big hit against uh, against Strasburg. He's been like one of the only Dodgers that's been good against Strasburg. He's four for 14 with a couple home runs and five RBIs against Corbin. He hits 375, 12 hits and 32 at bats with two home runs and six RBIs. And even against Scherzer, he's three for six. So Turner is the real key because he's the only the only Dodger who has who has conf- who should have confidence against all three of them. Everyone else like has you know Jock's had a little bit of success here and there. Uh, he's hit a, a home run off Scherzer. He's got a couple knocks, and then Freeze has been really good off Corbin. Pollock's really good off Strasburg. Here and there, they have some good, some matchups, but it's all about Turner in this series. They need a good series from him. Yeah. So, in terms of uh, the Nats lineup against Bueller, uh, they don't have there. It's not a very big sample size, but uh, Turner's has never got a hit off of Bueller. Uh, the only one that really has done well is uh, Rendon. And uh, we've seen his stock go up dramatically this year in particular. But Turner's not hasn't got a hit off of him. Juan Soto has not got a hit. Their catcher, Jan Gomes, has not got a hit. The other guy that's done uh, relatively well is Robles. And then Kendrick has one pinch hit, one for one against him. So uh, the bottom line is they haven't seen a lot of Bueller because they haven't faced him very much. Mm-hmm. I think that's the advantage to the pitcher. I agree. So, um, and, and obviously, like you were talking about with Corbin, 
he was with Arizona. So, so division the- rival, they got to see him quite a bit. So, um, you know, I'd say game one advantage is is uh, to the Dodgers. And, you know, if, if you're the Nats, you're just like, hey, we want to steal one in Dodger Stadium. That's That's the goal. Let's take a quick break right now, and when we return, we can shift over to the American League, and then we'll close up with uh, some of our NFL picks for the week. We will be back in one minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel don't wait for the rut early season elk and deer hunts offer hunters some serious advantages in locating and tagging bulls cows and big bucks this week on the revolution with jim and trev the boys are going to the pros for warm weather hunting tactics joining them is roger raglan of roger raglan outdoors dean capuano from swarovski optic quest and mrs bunny the revolution is presented by outdoor channel sportsman channel world fishing network and my outdoor tv saturdays at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern on the voice america variety channel Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here on the Mike Abadir Show, and we're going to shift on over. So, I'm before the season, I was really high on the Cardinals. And I just like watching, you know, this game that's playing right now and just looking at it before Atlanta is, they're a pretty well-built baseball team. And if they can get a little bit of pitching from Keuchel and Fulton Witz, who's been better down the stretch and, you know, Freed and Soraka, Soraka is really good on the road. Their top four, they have four of the top 35 hitters in baseball by OPS. I mean, they have legitimately four absolute studs. If they can get a little bit more from like Swanson and Marcakis, who, you know, kind of X factors, I just think they have a little bit too much for the Cardinals because the Cardinals haven't. Re- it's it's amazing when you look at them, at them that they got here. Now they played really well down the stretch, but it's like nobody on the Cardinals had an amazing year, um, top to bottom. Does that make them scary? Because we know Goldschmidt can get hot. He can just he can play well for a series. Is it scarier when they haven't been hot or or they have? You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I do know what you're saying because uh, yeah, it was a for Goldschmidt's you know uh, you know standard that he set in the past. You know, he had a down year. Ozuna um, too. It, it was productive. But you know, like, and I was gonna say it was Una, definitely Carpenter. I mean, Carpenter pretty much had a bad year, and uh, Bader they sent down to the minors for a while. Yeah, he he, he kind of got it together once he yeah, came back from the minors. The, really, the 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 guy that's a stud on that team is Tommy Edmond. Man, you know, yep. former Pac-12 product from Stanford, and he's he's a little guy, but he's got some pop. He's got a ton of speed, and he's been delivering. I would say. He's probably the main reason offensively that they got to the playoffs. I mean, he was just a great, great table setter, and he's versatile in that he could he could bat lead off. He, he can mainly batted it. second and 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 seventh during the course of the year, and uh, you know he just delivered. Didn't matter where they put him, he delivered. But you know, like you mentioned on the Braves side, you know they've got some pop. I underestimated the Braves going into the year. I underestimated them during the year. And uh, I, I think the the heartbeat of that team is right in the core of the order with Freeman and Donaldson. Man, I really didn't think that Donaldson had this much in the tank. Yeah, he what did he he walked a hundred times this year. He walked a hundred times this year. Um, you know, he had a three seventy nine on base percentage to go with his thirty seven home runs. They had three players hit th- hit over thirty seven home runs. Between yeah, Freeman, Acuna, and John Donaldson, it's like one of those that you kind of double take. And you know, they, they what? Here's what I like, and why I applaud the Braves, and why I kind of hope teams like this actually succeed because they went out and made the moves in the middle of the year. They had a good start to the year, and we were looking at the Braves team saying, "What do they need? They need some pitching. They need some b- pitching all over. They need an, at least another starter at the top of the rotation, and they need some bullpen depth." And they went out and got Keuchel. And he helped them down the stretch. Now, the last few games, he struggled a little bit. I think he had a six ERA in his last three starts, but he still helped them get there. And he was a guy that they had able to start game one of the playoffs. And then they went out and made a couple bullpen moves. And at the beginning, Milan, San, Shane Green, Chris Martin, we'll see how they work out in the playoffs. But they they went out and did the best that they could at the time. That's all that was available. And they did the best that they could. So they've set themselves up as best as they could to take a shot to try to win this National League. Agreed. Let's shift to the American League, Gino. The 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 long shot, if you will, team that I liked, that uh, most didn't like, the Oakland A's, they got to the uh, got playing in. game, but then they got bounced. So a team that you were hot on that was kind of like the, the sort of long shot, if you want to call it that, was the Minnesota Twins. Now, obviously, these are the, the top two home run teams in the history Ever. of baseball? Ever. Uh, but the Yankees, obviously, uh, are overwhelmingly the team that people are picking. Do you think the Twins have what it takes to win this series? I do. Um, I th- Even pitching-wise? This is going to be tight. Now, the reason why I would give the Twins a shot in this series is because it's a short series. In the short series, I think if they can get maybe two starts from Berrios and two starts from Odorizzi, then that's fine. But if they're going to have to depend too much on Gibson or Perez. That's when I get worried. They do have a decent bullpen. Um, you know what? I think their bullpen's a little bit better than people are expecting. And they have a nice rookie named Randy Dobnak who came up and he may have to start a game or he may come out and give them, you know, some versatility in the bullpen. But Rogers is not a bad closer. He had a two, six ERA at 30 saves with a one whip, 90 strikeouts and 69 innings. And they have a really good reliever named Tyler Duffy who Since July the 28th, in 27 games, 
24 innings pitched, two earned runs, a .37 ERA, and a 153 batting average against, 42 strikeouts, five walks. Trevor May is not a bad arm. So what I like is they have those three arms. Even Sergio Romo, when he went, went there, he's actually pitched very well for them. In 27 games, a 3.18 ERA, a .9 whip. He's a three-time World Series winner. He saved a couple games for them. He had some holes. If you have a bullpen that has you know three pieces you feel confident in, and you have a couple starters, you can win a, a short series like this. So I, I think that compared to the old Twins teams, because remember, Mike, as of late, the Twins have not had great success against the Yankees. They lost the ALDS to the Yankees in 2003, 2004, 2009, 2010, 2017 wildcard. So they've lost 13 straight playoff games, the Twins, since 2004. Yeah, this is a better it's team, kind of though. one of those things where sometimes teams just, for whatever reason, they, they find each other in the playoffs, they match up together in the mm-hmm. playoffs, and uh, this has been one that has completely been dominated by the Yankees. I think the one thing that if I am a Twins fan that uh, and I'm looking for hope somewhere is just in the fact that when you have these big, you know, bashing type of teams, which they both are, but let's just talk about the Yankees, you know... It, I don't want to say that they're necessarily one-trick ponies, but that was kind of my criticism of them last year. And they're, it's still they're, they're my criticism. Of, yeah, yeah, they don't have like team speed. They're not going to, you know, bunch you over. They're, you know, bunt runners over. They're not going to do the things that uh, traditionally have been a formula for success in the playoffs. They're just going to outslug you. And sometimes you're you could shut down a team like that for a game or two, and they're not going to be able to manufacture runs. Conversely, teams like Tampa, for example. Even if you were to shut down their lineup, which is not a monster lineup by any stretch of the imagination, but somehow, some way, they get a they could they could walk, you know, get get on base by walking, steal second, be moved over to third, sacrifice fly for a run. It isn't sexy, but it's effective. So I, I give mean, teams like pick, the Yankees a, a, a great disadvantage in a short series because of that one fact, which is their one trick pony. Uh, they had 1,437 strikeouts, which was towards the bottom half of the league. When you compare that with some of the teams that they might have to play in the playoffs, the Astros only struck out 1,166 times. So we're talking 260 times less. The Twins only struck out 1,334 times. So even a team like the Twins, who hit more home runs than the Yankees, they struck out 100 times less. You know, And the Dodgers who is a team with the big bats, they struck out 1,356 times. You know, that's 80 times less than the Yankees there, too. So I agree with you. I think when things And you're making up, a great point, by the way, that's worth not uh, moving off of that quickly because putting balls in play is more the critical in the oh, playoffs. Yeah. Because how many times outs? have we seen errors? errors? Yeah. Overthrow. Yep. Um, you have a fast, you know, someone who's got some speed who can beat him out. You know, that's what Bellinger's been doing a little bit more this year. Just... It's, it's, all, it's the, the the fundamental you learn when you're a kid, right? Why why you don't hit the ball in the air a lot of the time is because when you hit it on the ground, they have to catch it, throw it, and catch it. They have yeah, to. You got to make things. them make a play. You know. And you know what? The Dodgers uh, on the stat sheet may not show up as a, a speedster team, but they've got a lot of good base runners mm-hmm. and they got fast players. Yeah. Right? A lot of times people confuse the fact that you know a team might not be ranked you know towards the top in stolen base totals and think they're not a fast team. That could be the case, but it's not always the case. The Yankees, to me, are not a fast team. The Dodgers, to me, are a fast team. I think they can also steal a base. Even somebody like a, 
you know, obviously Bellinger, you know, and, and Taylor, you know, those are guys that Muncie. people are going to think of right away. But I was just going to say, even somebody like Muncie, faster than you can think, find yeah. a way to steal a base or two when needed, and and that becomes especially critical in Ball the playoffs like- in short series. You know, late in the game where you got to find a way to steal it somehow. You know, and, and the teams know which guys in the lineup you need to shut down and pitch around. So. That becomes really, really critical to manufacture runs come postseason. So, so uh, because we're kind of running out of time. Yeah, that's the one that has the biggest shot for an upset there. The Twins over the Yankees, I think. So who's your World Series? Uh, I'm sticking with Houston. And I'm going to go Houston Dodgers. Before the season, I was picking Houston Cardinals. And you know what? This Dodgers team is just a better team than I thought they would be. They're deeper. They they had the most wins in Dodger franchise history. So uh, I'm going to go with the Dodgers versus the Astros. I'm going with the same. Yeah, they they were not my uh, World Series picks before the season, but they are my World Series picks now. I, th- I just think they're the best two teams in baseball, and as we know, the best two teams in baseball don't always win. But when they're constructed like this, they often they do. don't have a lot of weaknesses. It, yeah. Both, yeah, the Astros to me have remind nine. me a lot of uh, offensively uh, a lot like the Red Sox from last year, where sure, they just have good just... hitters, and the Dodgers have a lot of good hitters, a lot of bashers, you know. Um, you know, and even their bashers hit for a, a pretty good average this year, and that's not always the case with the home run hitters. But Dodgers can beat you in a lot of different ways, so I'm going with the same. Okay, Mike, what are your plays for the week? We just have about two minutes. Uh, NFL plays. Okay, uh, I don't know why my camera just came on. Uh, so I've got three plays for this weekend. I have not yet got on my run, and I'm I'm kind of hoping that I could turn the corner, yeah, and get it get on a hot streak. Let's start it with week five. I got three plays. I got the Oakland Raiders getting five and a half points. It's not necessarily just because they look really good against Indy. I just think they're a little bit undervalued here from a point spread perspective. And I think the same thing with the New York Giants getting five. Lastly, I don't like betting on bad teams, but I'm going to do it this time because I think it just, uh, I like betting against rookie quarterbacks on the road. Cincinnati, Cincinnati minus three. Those are my three. Okay, I'm going to go two this week. Uh, I'm going to play Denver plus the six. I think it's six and a half. You can get some places, but six is even fine. Denver plus the six at the Chargers. And then uh, I'm going to play Green Green Bay plus three and a half at Dallas. So just two plays for me this week, those two. So uh, great show. Thanks to Craig. Looking forward to uh, MLB playoffs. What's fun about these playoff series is that by the time we talk next week, so much has already changed in, in baseball. Yeah, it, it really will. And, and and there's a lot of storylines that'll be a little bit, you know, that'll be different NFL-wise, too. I think the one that, uh, one of the teams that's really disappointed to me uh, so far in the first quarter of the season is the, is the Texans. They're a team that, uh, if, if you notice oh, yeah. from my plays, I've kind of ridden and they've uh, let me down. They're just not able to keep Watson protected. And I think that's really the big issue is keeping him upright, being able to make plays with his feet. But yeah, like you said, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot to talk about next week. Let's just put it to you that way. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in again, Mike. Uh, look forward to it. Let's go Dodgers. <laughs> Let's see it. Let's see if they can ultimately, uh, you know, prevail when the pressure and the expectation is there for them to win the World Series. So good luck to you, Gino. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a tremendous sports weekend. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.